decoded. Welcome to this episode of the Founder Tech Decoded podcast. I'm delighted on this episode to be talking to Adam French, who is the co-founder of Houghton Street Ventures, an LSE-backed venture fund that looks to identify and then leverage the alumni network um, into scalable businesses. In addition to that, Adam has been the founder or co-founder, excuse me, of uh, Scalable Capital. He is an active angel investor, and he's particularly interested in how founder tech um, can be leveraged to accelerate the rise of the one person million dollar business. And he himself has been experimenting with founder tech with a tool called Evaluate. So Adam, it's great to have you on the podcast. Um, and it seems like we have a, a lot to cover in our 30 minutes or so. Perfect. No, thanks a lot for having me, Dan. I'm excited to explore these topics more for sure. Okay, so let's just dive in. Do you want to just give a quick um, run through your background to to now, and then we'll jump straight into it? Yeah, perfect. So uh, my day job is as a venture capitalist, and as you mentioned, um, helped set up a fund called Houghton Street Ventures, which is a, a fund backing London School of Economics entrepreneurs. We have a global generalist mandate, and we typically invest very, very early. Um, but I got here through a path uh, of entrepreneurship. So um, after I graduated from the LSE, hence why I'm kind of involved with this project, um, worked in the world of finance uh, like a very good LSE graduate. And um, and then I left uh, after seven or so years to set up my own business, as you mentioned, a business called Scalable Capital. Um, it's a fintech business which operates in the online investment space, both wealth management and DIY investing, so brokerage. And we set that business up in 2014, raised venture capital, and currently have about a million clients that use that platform and manage about 15 to 16 billion euros of of assets, um, mainly in continental Europe, uh, although we do power banks in the UK uh, through the technology that we've built. And so kind of come to the investor side of the table, having gone on that journey and having raised venture capital and having taken something from an idea to scale. And at some point was enjoying the angel investing that you mentioned um, a little bit more than the day job. And so I was thinking kind of I would love to become an investor and to uh, to support other entrepreneurs on their journey. And um, I've been doing that now. Uh, officially out of this first vehicle that we've uh, launched uh, for about a year and we've done 10 investments so far and um, you know that that ultimate journey kind of you know going from founding a business to now founding a fund and now working with obviously a multitude of other entrepreneurs as technology has changed drastically over the last decade or so you know has got me more and more interested in this as you call it kind of founder tech landscape because I think uh the tools that are available, the technology that are available today to founders is is so different to, to what it was when we set up our business. And I'm naturally a curious and interested person and so have been dabbling in those tools myself and, and using them and, and sharing them with the founders in our network. So let's let's just go back because I think we've got a nice A B going on when you know when you help set up a scalable capital to now to Houghton Street Ventures now and this sort of in that gap you know founder tech has emerged and it's still very emergent and nascent what do you think is the difference for a founder 
back from when, you know, in the scalable capital days to today, what, what do you think are the main kind of points of difference and leverage that are already here and are emerging? Yeah, I think when we when we go back to 2014, I think we probably would have said it at the time, you know, that there was no easier time to set up and launch a business um, because of changes that happened then that it made setting up a business so much easier. Things like cloud computing, you know, not having to buy your own servers, yeah. venture capital being a kind of growing asset class in Europe in particular at the time. And I think that you, you would say exactly the same today. You know, there there is no better time, easier time to set up a business and to launch a business. And I think it's just been a continuation of those trends. And it's been new technologies and new tools that have made it increasingly easier. Um, you know, we've obviously got cloud computing now, but some of the tools and, and knowledge, you know, the, the the vast amount of content online today to, you know, help, you know, step in the footsteps of those that have already done it before you and have already built successful businesses, exited and now are in the ecosystem and helping others. And then there's the kind of elephant in the room, which is, you know, artificial intelligence. And, you know, it's been it's been here a long time, but it hasn't been in the current guise for very, very long. And I think what's been surprising is that the use of artificial intelligence, in my mind, has been a massive enabler to this whole founder tech piece because it just it just helps in so many different domains. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, you know the technology that we have makes it easier. I would also say that it's also never been harder to you know launch a successful business because it's never been easier to launch one, and therefore you know the competitive landscape I think gets very very challenging, and all of the good ideas have been taken, if you will. But there's there's more good ideas to come. Um, but yeah, it's that fundamental change in the tech landscape which has been just a continuation over the last 15 years which i think just just means that there's just an ever-increasing amount of things that you can use to make your life easier or to improve on things that you are fundamental to launching your business so for example it could be you know getting your pitch deck from good to great or it could be getting your pitch deck in front of 10 investors to 100 investors or it could be using a co-pilot, an AI co-pilot to help work through some strategic challenges or to even help you code. And I think that's a that's an interesting topic for me as well, because the LSE entrepreneurs that I'm ultimately backing, they're not entirely technical. Obviously, there are some technical founders within our ecosystem, but there's a lot of non-technical founders. And I kind of like the idea that the founders of the future may be able to leverage artificial intelligence or other technologies to build technical solutions that they might not have been able to before. And, um, you know, probably brings the next type or a new type of entrepreneur to to this landscape to be able to help them build businesses. So let's let's fast forward. Let's build on everything you've just said, right? Let's let's go forward three, four years. I don't think you have to go much further than that. Let's just say everything that you've just talked about is, you know, developed, sophisticated, entrenched, integrated, right? Basically, a new ecosystem is in place, right? So you alluded to it then, and I think it's really interesting kind of your perspective on this question, because you have the LSE um, alumni um, network as your sort of starting point, you know, as your funnel, essentially, at the top of your funnel, um, you've already got a, a really good, high-quality filter, you would would assume, you know, in, in terms of things coming in. But let's just assume that the the picture that you've painted, which I, I totally 
agree with um, is is there how do those founders let's talk about it in terms of the ones that will be in front of you assuming you're sitting in the same sea in three four years um, how do they differentiate themselves particularly and you said it right in the end if all the low hanging fruit you know they, you're not going to you're not going to have a, an, another just in time. Um, delivery grocery business uh, just to be clear you know as, as an example if all of those opportunities are being eaten up what do you see or who do you see that the, the founder of the future is and how do they differentiate themselves if the use of these tools is just sort of completely integrated in the way you've just described yeah it's a very good question i think that the the tooling um ups the bar i think that um there will always be ideas problems to solve you know to think that we're at a point now where all all problems have been solved would be would be completely incorrect to say i think that the easier problems have been solved and solutions which have been um developed for complex problems are probably not perfect yet so there's always going to be opportunity there's always going to be a next wave of innovation there's always going to be a changing landscape and opportunity to to build something and legacy businesses will always exist and legacy businesses with their uh, existing revenue and margin will, you know, provide opportunity to the next businesses to come in and start eating some of that margin and taking away some of that that revenue with with something better. So I think that it's uh, I'm not nervous about um, no opportunities, um, but I do think that um, the types of individuals who will be able to successfully launch businesses, get businesses funded. Um, will be of a higher quality than they probably are today. And I think they're already an incredibly high quality, you know. And I think that if I compare it to kind of our pitch deck, when we, you know, when we did our seed round in 2014, and we actually closed it in 2015, but we started fundraising in 2014, it's so embarrassing now. <laughs> um, I think about the stuff that we focused on. And, you know, I compare that to the, the average pitch deck that we get in front of us today. And I would say that our pitch deck is, is close to the average today. So obviously the best is is incredible. Um, do you know, you, you remind me just before, do you know what about the story about the um, patent office in 1899 that wanted to be, wanted to close, it filed to close? I don't know if this is, a, you know, like an anecdotal or actually true. I think it is actually, have you heard this story? Is, is, no, I don't think I have. Go on. The reason, <laughs> the reason why they wanted to close is the US patent office. They said all problems that exist have been solved already. So there's no <laughs> need for the patent office. This is in 1899. I'm assuming they'd seen like the phonograph and the electricity and they just thought, well, there's nothing else to say. So I think, you know, to your point, I, I really like the idea of like, you know, there's always going to be legacy businesses that, that are there. What, what do you think of the concept of that comes up again and again um, of, of, of a scalable niche? So actually... The founders that we're talking about, these exceptional ones, are going to live in deep vert market verticals where they've spent a lot of time gathering a lot of insight, reputational capital, prototyping. Like to me, that's where these founders in the early stages are going to live. But I'd love to get your view on that. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to that. Um, you know, this this is kind of part of the, I guess, the, the initial question around kind of how the founders set them up, themselves apart. And yeah. and I do think that there is a next generation of entrepreneurs that can come to the table with deep domain expertise uh, and be able to validate their ideas um, a lot easier than they would be able to previously. Um, you know, the idea, and, you know, last time we spoke, you know, when we initially spoke, Dan, a few, a few weeks ago, 
ChatGPT hadn't even launched its whole concept of GPTs, and, and you know that wasn't even on the radar from a from kind of what we were thinking about. And now that changed everything. And you know the idea that you could have somebody with deep domain expertise spin out spin up a GPT, fine tune it, you know, using their own knowledge, and get that in front of a target user, you know, within five minutes, essentially, um, and to test, you know, how do they interact with that? And is there something there? Is there a problem to be solved? Is there something that they could potentially monetize? Um, I think that people will come to the table with that type of background than more than they do today, where they might need to pull in talent first, and they might struggle to be able to bring together the technical team needed to get to a pre-seed round. Um, you know, I just think it, it opens up more doors to people who otherwise might not have access to, you know, to today's starting point. I think is you get a, you, there's almost a different starting point that opens up. Um, just, just, just to hone in on that a little bit more, like what is that different starting point? Because this is really, this is super interesting. And maybe we can just add the other concept that, that, that builds on this is like the fractional teams, you know, that, that if you've got a founder leveraging these technologies, you know, and, and to a multiple of 10x, 20x in terms of the, you know, the efficiency and the power, then the nature of the teams that they need and who they need to engage changes, hence the rise of the term fractional teams. So what, what do you think about that? Yeah, 100%. So um, I wrote a blog post when I developed a tool um, called Evaluate. It's like Evaluate, but with an I instead of an L, because obviously there's AI involved. Um, and the, the, the title of that blog post was, you know, the rise of the one person million dollar business. And it really was a recognition that AI can be used to help build things that previously you would have had to rely on others to do. And so if you think about the market today or the market of yesterday, if you were to raise pre-seed funding, you'd have to pitch investors on this huge vision. Um, but sometimes, as you say, that huge vision is, is a very long time away because actually the, the starting point for those entrepreneurs is serving a niche, right? And, and a deep, deep domain expertise on a certain niche. And the, the challenge they ultimately run into is, ah, is this too small? Or is this really going to be able to grow from this vertical, this niche vertical to yeah. something in, in adjacent vertical or so. And you'd always run into issues with, with that uh, market sizing kind of part of the evaluation. Um, and now you're in that point where you don't necessarily need to get, get there. You can get the tooling up and running to test your hypothesis very cheaply um, by leveraging AI technologies to kind of build the technical solution for you. And it, it obviously is not going to be the full-blown technical solution, but it could be the MVP of an MVP. Um, and that MVP of an MVP could ultimately be what gets you to the today's starting point. So it just feels like the ability to get going and to test things um, is is going to yeah basically change the top of funnel because today's top of funnel ultimately is is a filter on those that can pull together a team and can you know almost be working with a with a prototype right that's kind of where the bar is today yeah but with having having ChatGPT as a co-pilot and GPTs as a kind of MVP you could be as a one person individual you could literally build your technical solution and then and then some. Right, you could you could build the technical solution as, as a GPT, and then you could work with ChatGPT to help build out some of these other functions that you might ha not have the resource to pay for uh, as a, a full-time employee, or you might be not be able to pull on a co-founder at this stage. So, for example, you know, marketing 
you know, the, the, it's the it's the part of the puzzle that most first-time founders forget. It's, uh, you know, they think about product and they don't think about distribution. But, you know, if you could um, strategize with an AI who understands how businesses like yours have successfully marketed their businesses and distributed their product historically, then you can make a lot of savings, <laughs> be very, very efficient with your cash. And ultimately, you can start testing not just the kind of value hypothesis of your business, but also some of the scale hypothesis, you know, can you get this into the hands of your users effectively? Um, and do the users want to use the product? Um, and you can kind of do that as a, as a single person, uh, which is not something that you would have thought would have been possible. Uh, five years ago, when thinking about venture scale businesses, you know, businesses would ultimately could go on and, and have tens, if not hundreds of million dollars of revenue a year. So let's, I'm going to just challenge you. I, again, I agree, yeah. agree with everything, but let's say that that founder walks in to LSE and your offices in LSE today, right? And they actually embody all of that. Are you at a point where you could make a considerable, you know, pre-seed seed investment in that founder and justify that to your peers in terms of going, look, this person's by themselves, but they're leveraging these technologies. They've created the MVP in this way. They've got a fractional team. They're doing. Do you think you're at a point where even if you believe that, and you believe there was like, as you said, you know, this ability to go from the sort of scalable niche into the adjacent possible, which I really like the phrase. Um, do would you have confidence in almost backing your own judgment and then selling that to your you know your 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 peers in 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 Houghton Street? It's a really good question, and I think that I wouldn't be against it. But you're right; it's it's a risk because it's new. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it's a, it's an interesting risk to take. And I think if if you were to say, would you build your whole whole portfolio into businesses like that? I would start to wonder, you know are my investors into my fund is that a risk that they're willing to take is that a risk that they want me to underwrite um but i think if you if you found the right individual and don't get me wrong i think somebody who wants to pioneer in that way you're talking about somebody who probably could do it the more traditional way as well yeah but they've deliberately chosen to do it in a more cash cost effective way um to be able to get more with less um right and, and from their point of view that could be less dilution, there could be more ownership of the businesses that they're launching. But what I do think is important is that there's a spectrum between the way that you built and launched businesses 10 years ago, five years ago, and how you would do it today. Uh, yeah, kind of, you know, the, that that philosophizing we just did, which is you could have a single person um, coming to market and, and yeah. doing it all themselves. There's something in the middle. And I think what's what's clear, and you're seeing this in the venture market as well, is that Venture investors are coming earlier and earlier and earlier. And I think a part of that, there's, there's many reasons why, but I think a part of it is that we do potentially stand at the beginning of a, a new environment where the first round may be the only round because there's enough efficiency in the business so that the cost side of the balance sheet, the P&L, um, means that revenue can scale far, far away from costs, even at the very early stages. And yeah. you might not need that much growth capital to get you to a point where previously you might have needed 10 times as much. And, and don't get me wrong, I don't think we're there yet either. Um, but if there's a risk that we get there, then I think all of these late stage funds, you know, are, are sitting there wondering what do they do next? You know, where do they, where do they go? 
Um, and going earlier and earlier and earlier seems to be the smart move because you can get so much more with less today than you can five years ago. And so the economics and the start to change, the probability of success, the the cost of assuming your hypothesis or, or testing them and um, and then getting to the next stage, you know, I think that's, it just looks very different to what it did. Um, I don't want to say five years ago, because, you know, that's maybe too short a time frame, but 10 years ago, for sure. Yeah, it, it just super fascinating. Um, I, I think I think what this does, in a really nuanced way, I'm not. I, I I've never lent towards sort of impact sustainable investing, not as any kind of antithesis, but I've always thought there was a a better way. It's like diversification. It's like if if it's an, if it's economically rational to diversify capital to, to female founders or regional founders, then that then then capital should follow that rationale, right? Because it's because it's because that's what capital is supposed to do. Sure. It's find the most efficient routes to risk reward. But if what we're talking about here is saying that actually this sort of like this landscape of all these kind of entrepreneurs with the first round potentially being the final round and obviously as, as you said you know there, there are things that need you know to scale quickly via capital rounds that give them leverage and scope but if you say if the, if the norm becomes something in that realm then you what you get and this has come up and I'd love to know if you had a, had a term for this. Like, so in the sharing economy, there is this phrase. I was involved in some of the early stuff around that, um, the early modeling, um, idling capacity. So um, you, you've got mm. a spare room, you know, and so you can unlock the value of that room, Airbnb. You've got a car, you know, you're just sitting there idle. You're not doing anything. You can drive it about, earn money, Uber. Like, there is a there is something which we haven't quite yet articulated in in what we're talking about which is like unlocks the entrepreneurial potential in a new way and then if you sort of amortize that out the value of that is just enormous you know and even if it swings the delta of failure let's let's say that nine out of ten do fail right again no one's ever been able to kind of show me that where the, where the the calculus for that number comes from but let's say it's true um even if we could swing it to 8.5 that's a huge swing and and so there's something about all of this, like leading to economic, not just efficiency, but sort of, I got not liberation is not the right word, but if you know what I mean, it's all about this sort of unlocking something. I, I, I'd love, I'd love if you had a thought on that and even a term for that, because I think, I think that's where this is heading. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. I hadn't, I hadn't thought in in that term before, but um, yeah, the concept of having unlocking latent assets, right? I think that's a, it's an interesting business model, right? You know, the Airbnb is the is the prime example, right? Where people's houses and, and rooms were, you know, were not being utilized. And then a business model came along and realized that you can unlock that asset and, you know, billions of dollars later, look where we are. Yeah. Um, I love that concept in relation to yourself. And there is, you know, because of a few barriers to entry, let's say, there is an asset within you, the individual, which is, you know, your entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you know, maybe the barrier is imposter syndrome. Maybe it's, you know, an inability of, of knowing the next best step to take. Um, and, and maybe it's, you know, the other thing which doesn't get talked about quite a lot and is, is quite, I'm quite passionate about. And I want to do more on this in the future, um, just trying to work out how. But entrepreneurship is also quite a privileged thing. You know, if you look at the backgrounds yeah. of successful entrepreneurs, a lot of them are privately educated. Um, it's quite hard to be inspired 
uh, if you're if you're not seeing those that, that have kind of come on that journey and and, and achieved you know, and, and somebody who, you know, quote unquote, looks like you, you know, had the same type of upbringing. And so and, and I'm from just for context, I'm from a single parent background from the northeast of England, although my, my accent's a bit mixed these days, because I've lived in London for, for yeah. more than half my life. But um, there's something in that, right, you're unlocking maybe not just the asset of the individual, but large swathes of individuals who previously wouldn't be able to access this uh, this opportunity to become an entrepreneur, one, because they feel like they might not have the knowledge, um, but two, they might not have the access to the network. And network, obviously, on day one, typically looks like trying to find investors. And, um, and so, you know, founder tech as a whole helps provide access, democrat I hate the word democratizes, but does democratize yeah. this um, access uh, in a way in which you can do matching and you can, you know, you can start earlier and you can test earlier and it, it gets you a lot further. And, and then your kind of your track record is like, wow, this individual is passionate about what they're looking to build here. And they, they want to build, they want to succeed. They've got that drive. They've got that energy. They've got that intelligence about the sector that they're looking to disrupt and hate that word as well, but sorry to use it. Um, and, um, and that's, that's a latent asset, right? In itself, it's, it's not just the individual as a latent asset, but a community of individuals. Indeed. Let, let me extend the analogy further, the Airbnb, and we can kind of, I always bring this, I've made this individual up, but I'm certain she's going to appear in real life. So I'm going to conjure her and I'll meet her. So, so if you think about like Jill from Aberystwyth, right? And she's really like an expert in early learning. Let's just say dyspraxia for some reason that I, I, I picked that right. So she's set there and she's for 10 years, um, she's, she's developing a whole new way of, of kind of working with young people uh, in that field. Now let's just, just go adjacent to, she's also got, you know, um, in, in, in another life 10 years ago, a, a really great cottage on her property that has salmon, you know, quality salmon fishing at the end mm -hmm. and whatever. And, and maybe some other kind of like boutique things. Now, previously, it was very, very hard for her to enter the hospitality business, right? Because she's not, she's not a bed and breakfast person. She's got not the ability to manage that. So she can't really unlock that or it's all that latent potential of that of that asset or that, of those assets. It's not fulfilled. Then Airbnb comes along. Obviously, immediately, she can unlock that. She has that income. The point being is that if she's sitting there and she is this expert in, in dyspraxia, um, and that affects X percent of the population. There are enough investors who who touch early learning, probably touch dyspraxia, who 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 want a passion, who are passionate about kind of finding a new way into it. Well, just like if I'm looking for a, a boutique salmon fishing farm in Aberystwyth, I should be able to find that. As an investor, I should be able to find Jill really, really quickly. You know, with no point, and immediately engage in that evaluation. And I think when you see it like that, you suddenly realize that so much of the, what you're saying about the barriers they fall away because there's no incentive to have those barriers if you're thinking in that way do you, do you, see, what, do you see what i mean uh, totally i think um you know i'm i try to be a little bit more balanced than than kind of some of the narrative coming out of silicon valley but i couldn't help be a little bit inspired by what mark andreessen wrote in the techno optimist manifesto because you know technology has been shown to be a leveler um to provide growth to provide opportunity and you know the the, the situation that you hypothetically yeah, that you know that you theoretically described there you know there there should there's no barriers to that 
that you know it's just it's just work and effort and you know ambition to unlock those latent assets on both sides of yeah. the equation there yeah. right her talent her opportunity personally as well as a physical asset that she owns that she doesn't know what to do with and you know and there's two ways to that one is you know there might be somebody willing to buy that asset the other is that she might be able to be upskilled to manage that right and it becomes a dual income or so and you know today i, I would almost say that that technology exists it's just the other challenge is that um, and there's a great quote from William Gibson, uh, the author of, of Necromancer. Yeah. No, Necromancer, Neuromancer. Cyberpunk guy. Sense, yeah, the yeah. cyberpunk guy, yeah. exactly. The, yeah. the, um, the inspiration for the Matrix, if you will. Yeah. And yeah. Um, he's got this great quote, which is, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think that's, that's what always excites me about this technology is I can kind of see the solutions that if they do get scale, you know, they will be used, you know, for the better for everyone um and and in some ways that technology already exists and in some we need to imagine a future where it can be exist but i'm very optimistic that it will and you know and, it, and it's kind of you know i know that you would hear talking about founder tech um and and that's kind of, that's the focus point but you know you just look at that landscape you know the, I, I love the fact that you coined that term because you know five years ago what did it mean it meant you know a few agencies helping you to build better pitch decks and it helped and it meant middle people helping you with introductions and broken introductions to investors and it meant you know trying to you know beg for advice from those that had you know come before you and now you don't need anybody involved in that process um there's even vc funds that are kind of algorithmic and uh you know you, you send them your deck and putting plug in some numbers and it kind of spits out a decision i'm not sure if that's the uh, you know, optimal solution for, for capital in, in early stage, you know, given that we're talking about outliers, but, you know, the, you can almost take humans completely out of that process today. Um, and that's, that's a what, five years difference, between yeah. five, ten years, which is, which is fascinating. It just means that what does the next five, 10 can't bring and, you know, it's going to be a completely changed landscape again. I think, yeah, just to start to close, I think it's like, that quote is so good, because, I've seen it in the space of like the 18 months talking about this, where these were not theoretical ideas. There was lots of people kind of messing around and that's actually known. There were a lot of people using founder techs properly and seriously and you started to see results. One of the reasons I want to jump into the space. But now you can start to see all of these things that were slightly kind of theoretical, slightly hypothetical are like on the immediate horizon because it's economically efficient capital efficient and that and that ultimately of course drives things and i think we are seeing that future starting to kind of arrive and i do think we will see the the one person million dollar business you know i do i i think and while obviously once one person does it it legitimizes you know the choice that we were talking about earlier of you taking it to your contemporaries to your peers and the kind of pitching that once that's done once once then twice then three times then it all changes right and once once these things that we're just talking about are still slightly theoretical become the norm then everything everything changes just of its own accord not through a, a revolution or a disruption just changes because in the same way as uber made you know changed how, how a taxi arrived at you it didn't it didn't it just it just made it happen in a new way or you know so um let, let let's i'm sure we could 
talk more about this for another half an hour. But as, as we sort of start to wrap up, do you want to talk about bringing it back to what you're doing day to day? And if founders or investors are listening to this, how some of the ideas that we talked about feeding and what you're looking for, the conversations, obviously put in the show notes, contact details, but how should people contact you? What What's your remit, your thesis at the moment? What's, it, what's what, you know, obviously there's the LSC component, but give us what, your, you know, what, what, how people should uh, approach you, and what, what you're interested in, in coming into 2024. Yeah, sure. No, more than happy to, to provide a bit of detail. So, um, yeah, if there's any LSE alums listening, um, particularly entrepreneurs, then reach out. It doesn't matter what stage of their journey. To be honest with you, although we invest very early, um, we support founders all the way up through their journeys uh, with various different things, and, and we love to have them plugged into the network because. Um, you, you might get an indication kind of from the conversation that we've been having that I'm, I'm kind of the data nerd of our little organization and, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the tech the tech nerd and, and, and happy to explore new technologies probably deeper than anybody else. But we're also massively con, con, uh, community powered. Um, you know, that's the reason we exist is to, you know, to support founders by plugging them into the LSE network, which is 250,000 alums all over the world who are doing interesting things in all weird and wonderful ways. And so, you know, if you're if you're part of the LSE network and you want to learn more and, and kind of be drawn closer to what we're doing, then then please do reach out. From a day-to-day point of view, you know, the article that I wrote and the tool that I built to, uh, and I'll, I'll kind of explain, share a little bit more. So built this tool called Evaluate, you know, just the play of word on Evaluate, as I said, and it, you can find it on evaluate.com. So E-V-A-I uate.com and essentially the reason i built it um was to better understand can i actually use ai to build a full full-blown web web app um i'd used it before to help me run python scripts various little kind of applets that we use internally but uh, the question was can i actually build something and put it out there that people could use and the idea that i had was maybe you could build a web app that takes a pitch deck um, kind of passes all the data from it and then evaluates it uh, based on uh, a number of different metrics and, and provides feedback to the to the person that, that inputs the, the deck. And, um, and I was able to launch it. It took a while. It took a long time. It took a lot of back and forth, um, a lot of bug fixing. Uh, but I reckon in, I don't know, somewhere between 50 and 100 hours worth of kind of evening and weekend and spare time, got something which lives on the web today. And, you know, I, People use it every day. Um, somehow come across it from various little things that we've done, and and um, get pretty decent feedback on on it. And but that was that was beside the point. I didn't want to launch it as a as a as kind of a fully blown kind of app for the app's sake. But it was really an experiment as to you know the power of of AI and, and specifically ChatGPT at the time. And um, so as an organization, we're we do we use it in three different ways, right? As a, as a VC, so one. It's been helping us to automate some of our processes with um, some of these applets that I mentioned. So really as a kind of coding co-pilot, um, you know, helping us to, to build things that previously we would have had to rely on other people's skills or we would have spent a lot more time doing. Um, the second thing is it has been fantastic at helping us to, uh, you know, accelerate some of the content that we put out there. Um, I'm definitely not a William Wordsworth and um, I'm unfortunately... Uh, like the help of others in this uh, in this domain, and so have been able to you know get the support of some of the LLM technologies to to do that. And then the third is um, market research. You know we have a generalist global 
um, mandates, you know, backing LSE alums from anywhere right now from uh, Brazil and Colombia, obviously through the US and the UK, but then on the other side, all the way through to India thus far. So we're not the experts of everything. And so, you know, the ability for us to accelerate our learning and to um, find out, um, you know, hit, uh, you know, historic examples of things that might happen in, in markets historically where, you know, we, we just don't know and, and would have to rely on the due diligence of others and, and speak to maybe 10 times as many more people than we have to today. You know, it again just helps us accelerate our learning deepen our learning and um and so yeah that's been a valuable tool for us to kind of confluence our, our kind of very traditional due diligence that we do on a founder as well from a from a market and from a solution point of view so you know from my final advice would be you know if you're if you're interested in this type of technology and if you're interested in founder tech in general but you know more specifically kind of how ai can you can leverage to support you know things that you want to do just use it um, and it's by using it that you can really learn the limitations, but also the power. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it can be fun to pick up for the first time, but you really have to work with it to improve your prompting uh, to get the most out of it. And, you know, for $20 a month for whatever ChatGPT costs these days, it's um, going to be the, one, of the, one of the cheapest, most powerful tools that you can have in your organization. So if you can live with it or an equivalent, then, you know, it's my advice to, to definitely try and use it. Yeah. Well, it's like with all these things, right? Until you used to try and play with them and, and it is very much iteration and jiggling and juggling about with it that is like until you get the answer, but they but these tools you're going to be expected to be using these tools as a founder. I think it's the long and short of it, you know, and maybe that does put up another barrier to someone who's not technically proficient, although they aren't that complex to use. Uh you are going to be expected. You are gonna be on your evaluation calls or meetings with VCs, they're going to look to say, well, what, what founder tech are you using? Whether they use that term or not, 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 not the point. The point is that they're going to expect to see you leveraging those tools to create that efficiency. Um, and then how far can you as one person make that capital go? I think it's kind of what we're, we're saying. So, you know, what, what if your first round is the only round, which may be mm. the title of this podcast or so. Um, but, all of that's kind of not in the future, really. It's 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 certainly 2024 is going to kind of continue that trend. So, yeah, definitely, we'll put a link to if I evaluate. Is that is that the right pronunciation? <laughs> I have no idea. Eva, evaluate. I think that's probably it. Um, so, and and obviously, to, um, your LinkedIn, Adam, and 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 to Houghton Street Ventures, we'll put all those links in there. Um, but thanks so much. It's been really. Um, like really feel like we've kind of sharpened the pencil a bit in, the, in this call. Like the concepts have got clearer um, and it's great to hear, you know, your your thinking around them. So thanks so much for your time. No, it's been it's been a pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, look forward to maybe being on one again soon. And we'll talk about the next generation of technology and founder tech. Indeed, indeed. I, I very much look forward to it. And maybe, maybe we'll have the first million uh, dollar founder on the show and we can... Uh, you know, probe, probe how, he, how he or her got there together. Um, but, for, but for now, th thanks so much. Founder Tech Decoded. Founder Tech Decoded. Founder Tech Decoded. Founder Tech Decoded. Founder Tech Decoded.